0: The following message by Shane Sowers is brought to you by Central Baptist Church, Aurora, Colorado. www.cbcaurora.com Let's go to Colossians uh, chapter 1. So as you know, we started a series on the uh, the book of Colossians. We're still in chapter 1. I, I'm going to try not to belabor this, so I'm I'm kind of... Hoping that you all are just going to just stay ahead and just uh, continue to, to read with me. But while you're turning to Colossians chapter 1, today we're going to be dealing with verses 2 to 8. Colossians chapter 1 verses 2 to 8. Uh, many, of you, many of you know that I'm a big Star Wars person. I love Star Wars. Uh, I'm not, like I don't dress up in Wookiee suits and stuff like that when at the, at the movie theater. Okay. <laughs> no, Norberto says, sure. I'm a stormtrooper. I dress up as a stormtrooper. I'm just kidding. I don't. <laughs> but one of the things that struck me is I've been going through my periodic, you know, going back and watching the thing. So I'm watching uh, The Rise of Skywalker. And, um, and I remember this one scene that has really struck me the last couple of weeks. And the eighth installment, uh, Kylo Ren, who is Han Solo and Princess Leia's son, he, of, of course, if you know the story, embraced the dark side. He bowed to the power of the Sith Lord. His name was Snoke. And here he is in this one scene. He's in a black robe. He has a helmet on like his grandfather, Darth Vader. And, and Ren actually believes that he has crushed the rebellion once and for all. But that's not a sentiment that Snoke, the dark side guy, he didn't share that. So he's returning to Snoke from this victory that he has, and he's actually chastised by his master. He says, you know what? You are no Darth Vader. You're just a child in a mask. And Kylo Ren goes, but, but I gave everything to you. I gave everything that I had to you. I gave everything to the dark side. And Snoke looks at him, and he says, Skywalker lives. The seed of the Jedi lives. And here's the thing that struck me and hit me really hard. As long as he does, hope still exists. Rebellions will live as long as they are led. And it's true in Star Wars, and it's true for us as well. Because I think some of us today, we live as though hope is a concept to use Star Wars lingo, that's reserved for the a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. That's, that's where hope is. Hope is over there. Hope isn't real. It's not as it's, it's a galaxy far, far away thing. And so because of that, we see in our culture that hate reigns, lies rule, lies rule. You know, this is the thing that I thought was really interesting when I'm thinking about lies and deception and all this stuff. And again, I'm back on the whole media thing as I'm trying to watch the news. And this one commercial comes up where the guy is just like, hey, you know what? I came to the realization that I don't want to watch the news uh, or I've been finding myself only watching the news that I agreed with. And, and it was really bizarre because at, at what caught me was the way I was just kind of like, hmm, yeah, I know. That's, that's kind of how things are today. And then it struck me. Why are we watching news that we agree with? Isn't that the most bizarre thing? I mean, if you really think about it, isn't that bizarre? Like, what is me having to agree with it or not? What does that have to do with the news? And that right there showed me just how much the deception has gotten within our, our culture within our minds. As I'm listening to this and at first thought I didn't think anything of it. I just, yeah, yeah, that's true. Why do we do that? Oh, why are we doing that? Lies rule. Deceptions are prevalent and it's just pervasive through our culture. And so because of that fear sits as the monarch In the hearts of those of of us today who have, in a lot of ways, surrendered to despair. And we just surrendered to it. They just come to the place where there's just no hope. But there is something that has come. There is something that we have that subverts hate, subverts the lies, it casts out all fear. A countercultural existence that's not led by a Jedi but one that's led by a Galilean carpenter that many people died a long time ago. But Christians, he lives. And as long as our Lord lives, there is hope. And we'll always... Hope, But see, in our time, again, the deception comes in, the lies come in, the confusion comes in. And in our current modern culture, in the backdrop of all tension and all the confusion, we are beginning to lose what we will call the cardinal virtues of the Christian faith. Just think about it. The cardinal virtues of the Christian faith. We're losing those things? It's funny, as we progress through cancel culture of COVID, of this horrible complacency that we're seeing, and now we have on top of all this a looming war, does it not seem like people are becoming more faithless, less loving, and definitely less hopeful? People are so quick to give up today. Christians more and more today are becoming more hopeless, more and more indifferent to other people, less and less faith in the promises of God. Where are our Christian attributes? And people will say, well, Shane, I don't know about all that stuff. You know what? Just take a moment to survey social media and watch and listen to the posts that are posted by Christians today. It's absolutely unbelievable how much hatred we're seeing from professing Christians in social media today. But it's interesting, as I watched Star Wars and the concept of Luke being still alive that gave people hope, I was reminded of how this whole time for the last two years as we've been going through these difficult times in our culture today, I have been saying more and more all the time, do we not believe That Jesus is still alive today. I mean, haven't I been saying that? It just dawned on me. It's like the way we're acting today. Do we not believe that Jesus is alive? And as long as Jesus is alive and sitting on the throne, we can have hope. It's like the way we are acting in modern evangelicalism today makes me wonder if we still believe that Jesus is alive. Are we acting like all we have to hope for is still in the tomb? It seems that way. Everything that we hope for, everything that we're fighting for, it's all still in the tomb. Therefore, we don't have hope. We act as if our leader, our Lord, our King is still dead. But family, we have so much more than this. Jesus being alive is so much more than Jesus being alive. Do, you guys, do we realize today that we, we are so much more than this? We are not just citizens in a country in this world today. We are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And our king is alive and well sitting at the right hand throne of the father interceding on our behalf. And not only that, did you know that while our king sits on the throne, that the Holy Spirit is down here on Earth, giving us power, comfort and hope. And I'll say it now. I'll say it again later in the sermon. God does ask us to do the impossible. I mean, a lot of things that He's commanding, we're looking at this stuff going, "God, that's just impossible." You know, you want me to love my family? Have you seen my family? You are asking for the impossible. Do you know why God asks us for the impossible? Because he gave us the one who can do the impossible. That's why. So let's take a look at Colossians chapter 1, verses 2 to 8. Colossians chapter 1, verses 2 to 8. Hear the word of the Lord. We are writing to God's holy people in the city of Colossae who are faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. May God our Father give you grace and peace. We always pray for you, and we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all of God's people which come from your confident hope of what God has reserved for you in heaven. You have had this expectation ever since you first heard the truth of the good news. The same good news that came to you is going out all over the world. It is bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives, just as it has changed your lives from the day you first heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. You learned about the good news from Epaphras, our beloved co-worker. He is Christ's faithful servant, and he is helping us on your behalf. He has told us about the love for others that the Holy Spirit has given you. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. God, may it continue to be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Father, we pray that your word will continue to be that guide. And not just the guide, but that thing that will not return to you void. But we'll accomplish everything that you have purposed for it. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you're taking notes, the first thing we're going to look at today is an overview of the Christian attributes that Paul and Timothy celebrated for the people in Colossae, that is faith, hope, and love. The second thing we're going to look at is we're going to see that the love that we have for others is a gift that God gives us. And we also get to experience this love because of the gift the Father gave, because he loved us. So our thesis statement today is this. Though sin and the pattern of this world may cause us to lose sight of the genuine marks of Christianity, faith, hope, and love, it is the, the truth of Scripture and the power of the Holy Spirit that will bring to us the fruit of the Spirit to display the reality of the power of God within our lives. So point number one, faith, hope, and love. It's referred to as the cardinal Christian virtues. Now, for a church, you know, I need to understand this, for a church that Paul didn't visit, okay, remember, Colossae wasn't a church that Paul started. It was Epaphras who started the church, Paul didn't actually uh, go there. But Paul and Timothy said in this, in, this, uh, in this chapter here that they always pray for them, always pray for them, to give thanks for them. Though Paul did not plant the church, he shows that they are just as much a part of the family of God as Galatia and Corinth, and that he would look at them and treat them just the way he would treat Galatia and Corinth. They are just as much in the hearts and prayers of the apostle, and they also celebrate They celebrate their faith. Why is that important? It's important for us to recognize this one awesome, amazing thing. I don't need to have met you. I don't need to have known you. I may have met you for 30 seconds, and already we have more in common than anyone that we would have, and that commonality will last forever. What do I mean by that? If you are a Christian I don't need to have met you. When I see you in heaven, we're going to be best buddies. Do you know why? Because we both have the same Lord. And so this is why Paul and Timothy can look at Colossae, even though they don't have necessarily a a personal connection with them. He still treats them as if they're family. Do you know why he does that? Because they are family And we can go to another country. And when we go to church in another country, especially if it's a Baptist church, if we go to a Baptist church in another country, family, like it or not, they are your brothers and they are your sisters in Christ. (laughs) Isn't that amazing? Paul and Timothy would celebrate the genuine faith of the church in Colossae. And the celebration will include the mention of the cardinal Christian values of faith, hope, and love. And so the scriptures make this clear. You see this also in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13. Obviously, this is probably where you heard faith, hope, and love. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13. Three things will last forever: faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. First Thessalonians chapter one verse three, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans chapter five verses one through five. Romans five one to five. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. It's everywhere. You're going to see that everywhere in Scripture. Faith, hope, and love. Faith, hope, and love. Dr. Kent Hughes, he says this, Faith, hope, and love are mentioned numerous times in Scripture as a sort of apostolic shorthand for genuine Christianity. None of these qualities can be manufactured by man. They all come from God, which is absolutely amazing. He says this is shorthand. These three things—faith, hope, and love—it's shorthand for genuine Christianity. And see, so this is why Paul and Timothy was supporting because what they were hearing, what they were—the the reports that they were getting, they were seeing, and they were witnesses to faith in the church in Colossae, hope in the church in Colossae, and the love that they experienced. And because they saw those fruits, they could confidently say that we are thankful for what the Holy Spirit has done in your church, and we celebrate, and we pray for you every single day. He is acknowledging the genuineness of the church in Colossae. Or in Colossae. So, if we are Christians today, we are to be known for... Faith, hope, and love. When an individual looks at you, would they say that you are a person of faith, hope, and love? When people in the world look at the church today, would they say that that is an institution and a place known for faith, hope, and love? See where the tension is today. The Colossian church is genuine. and Paul and Timothy are thankful and they pray always for them because they're here of, mark number one, their faith. Now, I would personally, let me just say this right off, right off the bat here. I would personally define faith. And I know people think that this is pretty loaded because it is. It's simple, but it's pretty loaded. I I define faith as assent. I like like that word, assent. But if you don't like assent, then agreement. Agreement to understood propositions. Okay? Now, this is really important for us to get this. Um, Propositions. People will say, well, what is a proposition? A proposition is something that's given. In a sense, there are so many different ways of looking at it. But just simply, it's given that you can answer the, the statement with, like, a true and a false. So if I say... I don't know. I'm going to use this crazy example. I'll probably get in trouble for it. But Jimi Hendrix. If I say, hey, Jimi Hendrix, what are you all thinking? Okay. But if I were to say, Jimi Hendrix is the greatest guitar player of all time, it puts you in a position where you would have to either agree or disagree. Some people might say, well, yeah, yeah, Jimi Hendrix, yeah, it's fine. I mean, Eddie Van Halen is really the guy, right? You know, that's fine. But uh, you have to give a proposition to which you would say that you agree or disagree. That's what a proposition is. So a lot of times we get this confused. Our faith needs to be in something that we would be able to either agree or disagree with. It's not just something that's floating out there in this world. It's important for us to see this. Now, the other thing, too, really quickly, is for those of you that are sitting back going, hey, Shane, I got this, man, I already know. The Bible defines it for us, and pretty much what you're going to do is you're going to go to Hebrews chapter 11, faith is the substance or the being sure of things, hope for the evidence of things not seen. This is not a definition of faith. This is more of a description as to what faith does. Okay, Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 is not a definition of faith. It's a description of what faith does. It's very important that we see this, right? Because if I were to say this, the vacuum is how we keep our carpets clean. Is that a definition for a vacuum? Is how we keep our carpets clean? No, it's a description of what faith does. Faith, essentially, is just agreement. It's agreement, yes, but it's agreement to understood propositions. It's got to be something that you would say yes or no. You can't just say, you can't just say, uh, God, agree or disagree. God what, right? So, this is this is I promise this is all going to come together. The Heidelberg Catechism defines faith as more specifically true faith. True faith is a sure knowledge whereby I accept as true all that God has revealed to us in His word. The historic Protestantism has always taught this important thing when it comes to faith. So many different aspects of faith. And so, throughout all of historic Protestantism, we see that there are these three aspects of faith. Um, R.C. Sproul, he helps us with this. He brings up the first thing there's three things that you've got to make sure is involved or, or is, is alive when it comes to your idea of faith. Okay? No T. I always mess this up. No no Chia okay, notia, refers to the content of faith, content of faith, all right, which means these are the things that we believe. These are our propositions. We place our faith in something. This is very important that we see this when it comes to faith. We put our faith in something, or more appropriately, in someone. In order to believe, we got to know something about that someone. Who is Jesus? If I just say, Jesus, do you agree or disagree? Kind of hard, isn't it? But this is the game we play all the time today. Seriously, all the time today. Now, if I say, Jesus is Lord, agree or disagree? That's faith. So we have to know something about that someone. Who is Jesus? Who is this Lord? The second thing we do is what R.C. Sproul will call a census. It's our conviction that the content of our faith is true. So when I say Jesus is Lord, there's our content. The question is, do you really believe that? Because we can hear that, right? And just say, hey, yeah, Jesus is Lord. Do you really believe that? I don't know. I'm not sure. It's believing the conviction that the content of our faith is true. You can know about the Christian faith. And here's the thing. You can know all. You can have a ton of knowledge about Christianity and what, you know, the Bible says about Jesus. But yet you can still believe that it's not true. So you actually have to believe that these things are true, okay? And then the last one, this is the one I'm kind of like, you know, iffy about whether this should be included or not, but because they've done it for all the history, I'm just going to play along. Fiducia. It refers to personal trust and reliance. Not only do you have to believe that it's true, you also have to trust it. To me, it almost seems like the same thing, right? You believe something is true and then don't trust it. Is that possible? That's just hard. That's, that's, This is why it's always been kind of confusing for me. I don't know, Roberto. Maybe in your studies you'll figure it out and you can explain it to me. But I'm just, I'm, I, I'm just not But let's go with it. R.C. Sproul said it, so you know it's pretty much as good as scripture, right? No, I'm just kidding. Um, fiducia refers to personal trust and reliance. Knowing and believing the content of the Christian faith is not enough, because demons believe that and shudder. Faith is only effectual if knowing about and assenting to the claims of Jesus, one personally trusts in him alone for salvation. You guys actually have to trust and you have to have confidence in this. Okay? That's just the general idea of what faith is. I mean, I can go weeks and weeks and weeks just talking about faith. I just wanted to give you this quick summary as to what this is. But let me just kind of bring it home for us today. These days we struggle with faith and unfortunately struggle with faith when it comes to even people within the church. Why? Because we have adopted the world's view and the world's concept and the world's idea of what faith is. And you know where you I see this constantly is in the movies. You know people are just like, you know, you got you got to be careful when you watch yeah, you got to be careful when you watch movies. You think that, these, this is, that movies are neutral? Ah, they're not neutral. They're trying to push an agenda. Okay, they are. The, the, the important thing, and this is what you know, we do with our children, is we try to teach our kids how to identify when those things come. That's important. Okay, it's important. Now, and, and we have adopted the world's Worldview and definition of our understanding of faith, and this essentially comes uh, from uh, the idea comes from. I don't know if it's necessarily from Mark Twain, but Mark Twain says something that summarizes the entire philosophy of the world's view of faith. Mark Twain says, "Faith is believing that which you know ain't so." <laughs> Come on, tell me that that's not perfect. Great definition for our culture's understanding of faith. Believing what you know ain't so. Some will say that it's believing something when you don't have a good reason to believe it. You'll see illustrations and hear illustrations coming from pulpits in America today that essentially it's like shooting in the dark, believing that you're going to hit something on the other side. Samwise in The Lord of the Rings... When Frodo's like, what are we putting our faith in? And he was just like, faith that there is something good in this world. My question is, why? Why are we believing that there's something good in this world? Are the world's responses just because? I just got a feeling that we might not be alone in this world. And I'm just going to believe that that's the case. I think someone might be watching us. And I, I'm just going to believe that that's the case. You had any reason to believe that? No, but see, that's what faith is. That is not what faith is. (laughs) People will say, oh, I'm not sure. I just like to think so. Whatever we need to believe to get through life. This is not faith. The Bible never gives us this. The Bible never tells us that this is how we're supposed to walk through life. The Bible makes it very clear that Jesus desires us to be certain about things, right? We're not supposed to be walking through life not sure about stuff. And we in the church have adopted this idea that there's just certain things in life that we're just not sure of. When it comes to Christianity, are just certain things that we're just not sure of. It's just a mystery. Sure, I get that there are certain theological things that we're just not sure of, not necessarily that we're not sure of, but we just can't understand but when it comes to life and godliness, oh, man, we can be sure. We can totally be sure when it comes to life and godliness. Sure, I, I don't know what I'm you know, let's just say I've got to make a decision about, you know, Ken Sanders is doing something, and, you know, and I'm thinking, you know, what Ken Sanders is doing is really naughty. Now, of course, Ken would never do anything naughty, but I'm just using him as an example. Ken's doing something naughty. And I'm just like, we got to deal with Ken. And an individual will be like, well, you don't know what's in his heart. Don't you hear this all the time? And so now we've got to operate from a a place of not knowing. Do you know the Bible gives us a clue as to what we're supposed to do? Sure, I don't know what's in Ken's heart. But do you know what the Bible tells me to do? We're supposed to judge a man by his fruit. But you don't know what's in his heart. I don't need to. I need to judge him based on his fruit. Everything that we need to know, everything that we need to understand, we are to be certain of because of God's word. And God desires us to be certain about many, many things. Oh, but you just don't know about things that you're supposed to do. The Bible tells us not to cast our pearl before swine. Do you know what that means? That means there's people in this world that I'm going to look at and I'm going to go, swine. You have to. (laughs) He says not to cast your, your pearl before swine then there's people in this world that you're going to define as swine. That's unfortunate. <laughs> but this is how we're supposed to operate. We're supposed to be certain. We're supposed to be sure. If we believe this, the way the world sees when it comes to faith and that we're not supposed to know and it's in, you know the, no sh- surety and all this stuff, whatever gets us through life, if we believe this, family, let me say this. There is no wonder why we can't withstand anything anymore. It makes sense to me now. Why all we gotta do is walk through life, everything's great, and have one small, tiny little problem hit our lives. And it's like, I quit. I quit. (laughs) One small, you mean we gotta walk through this water? It's cold. We just got to walk through it. just a little bit. No, I ain't walking through that. I quit. Not one circumstance. In the end, it's what, what do we really believe? We would not even pass the first challenge to our faith if we believe this because we can't even answer the question why. Paul makes it very clear by adding a faith that is in Christ's Jesus, This is what he says, faith that is in Christ Jesus. Why? Because family, our faith is not blind. It is not convincing ourselves to believe something is true when we have absolutely no reason to believe that it is. It is not faith in our faith. The reality is faith has no intrinsic value in it of itself. The only reason why faith is of any value is the value of the object that you're putting your faith in. That's the only reason why there's value in faith. It has nothing to do with the ability of your faith. No, absolutely not. This is popular teaching that we even hear today about how good your faith is. No, 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 it's only as good as the object that you're putting your faith in. When somebody says that he or she has faith, the question that we've got to ask is faith, in what? Yeah, come on. Faith in what? See, this is the first challenge. And if we believe the way the world believes, we can't even get past that question. Faith in what? Something. Yeah, what something? Something out there. Out where? Something out there that we can't really know. Why not? (laughs) You can't even get through the first challenge, you see? We can't even get through the first challenge. This is no wonder why we can't get through anything. This is a wonder why we can't persevere through things. Because in the end, when you ask yourself what you really believe, you don't know. Paul makes it very clear by saying that our faith is in Christ Jesus. And let me tell you something, there is no object in this universe that's better than that. This is why I say that our faith is not blind. It's, it's directed towards Christ. Our faith is not without target when shooting in the dark. I am shooting at the coordinates that Christ gave me. And in my opinion, let me say this, in my opinion, and this, is, this is a little bit of, you know, pre, this is a little preachy. <laughs> I believe that God's words have so much more certainty than even the things we see with our own eyes. All right, somebody's with me. Did you guys get that? That God's word actually brings more certainty to me than even what I see with my own eyes. And people say, well, Shane, you know, if you can see it, seeing is believing. Man, not not recently anyway for me. You know, I, I got this thing where I'm not sure. Like, I'm always, is that, is that my wife back there? Kinda looks like her but I'm not sure I'll tell you what since I turned 40 I can't trust my my eyes for nothing <laughs> how many times have we actually said did my eyes just deceive me I trust God's word more than even what I see with my own eyes God has given us the best possible scenario. My eyes can be deceiving, but we have promises that were given to us from a God who cannot lie, and his purposes and his promises are yes and amen. It doesn't matter what I see. It matters what I hear from the living God. My trust in God's word is more than even what I can see before me. Therefore, we can be certain. Our faith is a sure knowledge in a sure Lord, in a sure Savior. Family, this is revolutionary thinking. You want me to show you so that you can believe? No. If Christ says, if Christ says it, then that's all I will ever need and more. Blessed are you who have not seen, yet still believe. I don't know, a little bit bonus there for you guys. (laughs) What I think about when I can't sleep at night. The second foundational attribute of the Christian given here is love. If you guys got seatbelts on those pews, you better buckle up. Here we go. The second attribute we're given is love. If we today are Christians... And you today are saying, Shane, I've got true faith, man. Everything you said about faith, man, that's, uh, that's me. I'm all about that. That's me. You just define me. I'm a man of faith. If we are today Christians and we really do have faith, then you will express it with love. It's got to be. If you're a Christian today, love has got to overflow in your life. It must be expressed in love. Oh, you don't believe me? Here, Galatians chapter 5, verse 6. Galatians chapter 5, verse 6. For when we place our faith in Christ Jesus, there is no benefit in being circumcised or being uncircumcised. What is important is faith expressing itself in love. It's got to be. If we have a true faith, the expression of that faith will be love. We have have all met, we've all known, we have even lived with people who claim to be good Christians, who are upstanding, honest, and even orthodox, but amazingly unloving. I've said we've all met, we've all known, and we've even lived with people that were probably like this. They had a soulless, empty, indifferent, loveless goodness. I know that sounds weird. It's the only way I can kind of describe that. It's soulless. It's empty. It's indifferent. It's loveless. But it's goodness. (laughs) Super amazing. Amazing individuals. No love. There was an entire church called Ephesus in the book of Revelation that was accused of this. You guys got it all together. Theologically sound, doctrinally, you guys got it, man. You you guys, you know, you guys kept the church doctrinally pure, for the most part morally pure, but this one charge I have against you, you lost your first love. One theologian wrote, an orthodoxy without charity, a questionable faith doesn't matter how awesome your orthodoxy is. If there is no love, it's a questionable faith. They were the kind of people, here's Mark Twain again, had in mind when he said, he's a good man in the worst sort of way. (laughs) I actually thought that was kind of funny. Know what we're talking about here? He's a good man in the worst sort of way. Which means no love for the brethren is a picture of what James refers to as a dead faith. Or better yet, no faith. But Shane, I love. I hear you. I hear you, I do. I hear you. But love is an important fruit of the Spirit and an important evidence of authentic faith in Christ. And we are talking about a love that is agape. It is sacrificial. It is a love that has to cost Us. It's easy to love as long as it doesn't cost me anything. Man, if you don't cost me anything, you don't bother me, you guys don't. I will love you. No problem, I will. (laughs) But that's the essence of love. There's sacrifice that's involved in love. Love costs us. Love hurts. It hurts. But this is the evidence of authentic faith. It's easy to love as long as it doesn't hurt me or cost me anything. Even our marriages today. Now, you guys know, I've been, been, you know, pastor 30 years now. I've done the number one counseling thing that I do. The number one thing by far, marriage counseling. By far. That's the reason why now in my old age, I won't do it anymore. I'm just kidding. (laughs) I don't want to do it anymore. It's like, hey, Shane, I need some counseling. Oh, you do? What kind of counseling are we talking about here? You know, I'm struggling with, you know, identity. Oh, okay, that's good. I'll take that. You know, I'm not sure about my dog. I'll do animal counseling. I'll do all that kind of stuff. Marriage counseling, i got to have to get back to you on that. Even our marriages today carry this idea that I will love you as long as it doesn't cost me anything. Even in our marriages today, we got that mentality. I'll be with you as long as it doesn't cost me anything. Or the sacrifices that I make, I'll make, but only to an extent. It just gets to the point, and this is what you hear all the time, I've had it. I can't do this anymore. This is the important point of agape love, sacrifice. If it does not hurt, or cost, then it's not sacrifice. A lot of times I'll listen, hey, Pastor Shane, you don't understand. I've sacrificed a lot in this marriage. You kind of, and then you listen to the sacrifices and it's kind of like, yeah, it does kind of sound inconvenient. But I don't know if I would consider that a sacrifice. And I said, a sacrifice would be things like this, this, and this. And they're like, oh, no, I would never do that for that person. Wow, I can't tell you how many times I've heard that. I would never do that. Well, yeah, that's a real sacrifice that you would have to make. Making sacrifices hurt. Making sacrifices cost. And I'm going to do this, why? Because you love him. Because you love her. wow. This is the essence of Christian virtue. Shane, come on, man. That's a lot. (laughs) This is the thing that's amazing to me. We can't even love our own spouse. How in the world are we supposed to love our enemies? Oh, that's it. That's good. I'm done. Jesus name. Amen. I could walk out right now and you guys all still be pondering. If we can't even love our family members, how in the world are we supposed to love our enemies? You you, you with me here? How are we supposed to do this? Shane, you know what? The Lord is asking way too much. And, and I get this, I get this. The, the, the The people will say this to me, that's that's too much, man. The Lord is asking, why is he asking for the impossible? Don't you think he's asking too much? Yeah. He's, He's asking me to do the impossible, don't you think? Yeah. But do you know why I believe we can do that? Because the Lord gave us the one who can do the impossible. Family, we got to get that. We're Christians. If you are a Christian, did God promise that the Holy Spirit would be with us? So you're walking around out there, you can't get through this situation. You know, it's just every single morning I wake up, all she does is tell me how I don't put the toilet seat down. Why is it that every single time I go to the, to the sink, there's toothpaste in the sink? The toothpaste is supposed to go into your mouth, not in the sink. I know I see some ladies over there going, yeah, why does he do that? Some guys in here going, why does she do, why does she do that? I don't know how we do that. That's the thing that just gets me. How in the world are these big clumps of, of, of toothpaste in, a, in the sink all the time, Right? And she does, she just does this, and we're walking around moody, walking about grouchy, can't do anything. This is just impossible. I cannot live with this woman. And the whole time right there with you is the one who created the heavens and the earth and is Lord over all creation. And shame on us. Seriously. He's asking us to do the impossible. Yeah. Yeah. Because the gift that he gave you called the Holy Spirit is able to do the impossible. We're supposed to be doing the impossible. If you are a Christian today, you are supposed to be doing the impossible. Because God never intended for us to do this life without him. Never intended that. Not able to do the impossible? Then maybe the one who can do the impossible, maybe he's just not with you. Is that a possibility? Oh. Man, Shane, I came to church today because I wanted you to encourage me. Now you're telling me the Holy Spirit might not be with me. Well, then that's good news. <laughs> because if, if he's not, then you got something to worry about. the thing I love about this stuff. Yes, we don't want to hear these things. They're true. They hurt. They don't make us feel good. I I, I get it. I get it. I don't like hearing this stuff either. You know, when I put my sermons together, I cry a lot because it hurts. But I'll tell you what, family, I would rather go through life hurting and knowing the truth than standing before Jesus one day giving him the reasons and him looking at me and saying, depart from me. I never knew you. No way. No way. The love of a Christian is not just supposed to be sacrificial, too. It's supposed to be indiscriminate. Seriously, we're supposed to love all people, all walks of life, all cultures, all races, all socioeconomic levels. We are commanded to love our enemies for real. Yes, Matthew chapter 5, verse 44. Matthew 5, 44. But I say, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Man, you should see some of the vile things that Christians are saying on social media against people who just don't agree with you. They're not even your enemy. They just don't agree with you. And man, some of the horrible, awful things that we're seeing coming from professing Christians today. And did you know something else? The love that we have for each other, the love that we show for other people, do you realize that it will show us something very, very important, show the world something very, very important? You know when you show love to another individual, you're going to show the world that you are a disciple of Christ. Your love, John chapter 13, verse 35, John chapter 13, verse 35, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Do you see that that's impo- the impossibility of that? But, but family, we serve a God who is alive. Of course we're supposed to look different than other people in the world. We're supposed to. A story is told of a soldier who was watching a nurse. She's rapping, and she's treating gangrene-infected wounds from fallen soldiers. Now, if you've read reports of this stuff, apparently, like, gangrene, like, smells. There's, like, a smell to it that instantaneously makes you nauseous. At least, that's, there's some of the reports. I've never, I've never smelled it. You know, some they say it's, like, some kind of cheese, you know, well, if it smells like rotten cheese, I'm definitely throwing up. I want to throw up when I smell bad milk. You guys ever smell bad milk? It's like instantaneously want to throw up. Anyway, so she's doing treating the gangrene infected wounds. And then when she came to the soldier, the soldier looked at her and says, I don't know how you do it. I don't know how you do it. He said, I wouldn't do that for a million dollars. And you know what she said? Neither would I. Do we have that kind of love for people in our world today? And what this loveless love that we're showing to the world today. Today in the church, we're mean to each other. We show indifferent judgments. We make sacrifices that we, that we, we don't make sacrifices that we know we should. We're not showing compassion. If you don't believe me, again, all I, all I say is just look at the posts coming from profession Christians on social media. You know, where, where did we get this, this mentality in the church? Like, if you don't believe me, then forget you. Where, where is this coming from? It's showing the world. I mean, is it showing the world that we're really his disciples? Can we celebrate the love of the modern church like Paul and Timothy did with Colossae today? And finally, those of you who are in Christ, we cannot be people who have no hope. We cannot be people who have no hope. In this instance, Paul mentions hope last because he is showing how our faith and our love is springing up from it. In Colossians, they were having doubts concerning the f- sufficiency of Christ, faced with teaching that led them to wonder whether Christ could supply all their spiritual needs. That's one of the things they were dealing with in Colossae. The Colossians needed to be reminded that their present experience of faith and their love rests on the solid foundation of what God has committed to them in the future. This is what's called their hope of glory. It's not simply a hope on hope, but a hope of what God has reserved for us in heaven. This is not a new thing in Scripture. This is not a new thing that only comes from Paul. We see in 1 Peter 1, verses 4 to 5. 1 Peter 1, verses 4 to 5, when he's talking about our inheritance, it's an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the, in the last time. See, today many will look at this hope as wistful thinking. Oh, this the Shane, he's the, he's the Christian, he's the, he's the pastor now. You know, he he he's always thinking, gotta think positive. It's all wistful thinking, he's always hopeful when there's no hope. A blind optimism without any foundation at all. We like to say things. Right, we, we like to, even we've we adopted this idea of hope that we even say things like, you know, I hope the Broncos win the Super Bowl. You know, or you know what? That sounds good. I, I, I hope so. I hope so. But, our, but for us as Christians, this is not so. <laughs> we hope in a risen Lord and we look forward to what he has promised us in the future. We are hoping with eager expectation for all that Christ has prepared for us in the future. Hope for what Christ has prepared for us in the future. Colossians, everyone today, there is something more for us than life here on earth. As, as, as Christians today, we do believe that there is life even after you die. And not just a life, family. We're talking about a life more abundant. More abundant. You know, I always think about just, you know, things when it comes to heaven. It's so much more that we can imagine. You know, I, I rob myself Sometimes in my hope when I'm thinking about heaven and all of these things, like, you know, like I'm being a basketball player in high school, you guys see how short I am, right? I mean, they don't use the word tall when they refer to me. You know, and my hopes and dreams of playing professional basketball was pretty much damaged by the time I was freshman in high school. When all these guys were dunking basketballs, I was just trying to touch the net. You guys remember that? If I could just touch the net, I was happy. You I know, think of heaven like, you know, that heaven's the place where I'm going to go and we'll get to dunk a basketball. But family, it's so much more than that. This is what I think about when we go to heaven. I think about those types of things like, man, I go to heaven, I'll be able to dunk a basketball. When we go to heaven, we are going to be so enamored by our Lord, we're not even thinking about basketball. It's so much more than we could ever ask or even imagine. It's beyond what we can think. It's beyond what we can see. You know, it's like, it's like, you know, people talk about my relatives, like, oh yeah, well, you know what, Shane? You know, just just be glad. You know, your grandma and your grandpa, they love you and they're looking down upon you. No, they're not. They're not looking down upon me. They can't take their eyes off Christ right now. That's how wonderful and how amazing it's going to be. This is why Paul says when he went to heaven, he saw things that he, the so indescribable words could not be expressed. That's why, that's why it bothers. I, I know that people are doing this out of a good heart, you know. And when they say, you know, they died, they went to heaven, and they saw all these things, and they describe us, and blah, 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 and they describe all this stuff. And it's just kind of like, I, I see what you're saying, and I see what you're trying to do. But Paul went to heaven. And you know what the Apostle Paul said when he, came, when, he, when he talked about his experience? He saw things that he couldn't describe. There was no words for it. You know? And the other thing, too, he says, I saw things that were indescribable, and I wasn't permitted to tell. So <laughs> the Apostle Paul couldn't tell, but you can. And again, again, I see what, what they're trying to do. I, I see that they're doing it. But family, we do we recognize and realize that when we do things like this, we are robbing, robbing us of the beauty of the hope that we have that's beyond anything that we could ever imagine. You know, when, when they talk about how when I was out there, man, I saw football games, I saw people playing golf, I saw all this stuff, I'm like, I get it. I guess that's cool, but if that's all it is, I may as well just stay here, right? Come on, I'm trying to preach here today. Seriously, if that's all it is, I may as well just stay here. Our hope is not wistful thinking. It's not about being able to, it's not about having a a better life up there than we had down here. It's a life that's so revolutionary, so transcendent, that when we get up there, our minds will not cease to be blown. It'll just be, you know, well, Shane, how do you know that? Well, when you think about it and you look at all these things, everything that you have, everything that you have gained in your life, everything that you have accomplished, trading in your cross when you walk through the kingdom of heaven, you're going to trade in your cross and they're going to give you a crown. And when you're walking around with that crown on your head, you're going to behold the king of kings and the Lord of lords. How awesome is that going to be? He's going to be, it's going to be so awesome that you're going to take that crown off of your head and you're going to throw it at his feet. Amen. Family, this is our hope. This is what we're holding on to. This is what we get. This is what we gain. And I know this is true because this is what God promised when Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. It's there, Family. This is why we have this belief that we can live our lives, a life that we have, that we can live with confident hope in believing that there is so much more, so much more than you can ask for. C.S. Lewis was, and I'm going to paraphrase it, C.S. Lewis would say things like, you know, the thing that we have in our minds that we've got backwards. When we pray and we ask God for all of these things, we think that God's up there going, you know what? These, these people ask for so much. They ask for this. They ask for that. Man, these people ask for so much. Jesus said, God's not up there thinking about that. God is astonished, if that's, <laughs> if that's possible. But God is astonished as to how little we're asking. He can do so much more. An inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. I don't want anything, this is the thing that, for me, I don't want anything to happen here for me in this world that will make me not want to go to heaven. And that's the reality and the shame of some of the stuff that we're getting today. We don't think, we think that this is victory. No. We don't realize that all this prosperity, promising stuff that we're getting and all this stuff, heaven on earth, you know, getting your inheritance now, you know, my best life now, you know, all these types of things, family. We think this is victory. We think that this is good. No. It is robbing us of the hope and the beauty that we have that when I die it's going to be awesome. The apostle Paul said it himself to live is Christ to die is gain. May we never be robbed of that family. Never let us never be robbed of that that when we are on our deathbed We are not focused and dwelling on the things that we're going to leave behind. Sure, our family, our loved ones, all of that stuff. But may we be dwelling on the simple, simple fact that when I die, I get to behold my living Christ, my living Lord. And when I see him, all the things of this world go strangely dim. That's our Lord. That's our Lord. So much, so much more than we can ask. In him we have an eternal home, the final redemption, the promise of a final resurrection. We're all going to get our, our bodies when we were 21 years old. the hope that we have in Christ. So family, that's what we have to hold on to. So my question is, do you believe it? Because this is a promise that God gave. This is the knowledge that we have. Do we believe it? That's faith. And a gift that God has given us today. It's important for us to see that all we have is given by God. God is the source God gives us, he continues to give and give. But we see the gifts we receive. It's because of the amazing gift that God has already given. It's called the gift of his son. Faith, hope, and love are wonderful gifts that we have in this life because of the wonderful gift that God the Father has given us, the gift of his son. The gift of the power of the Holy Spirit is a wonderful gift the Father and the Son has given to us because of the gift of his Son. Salvation is here. And because of that, family, I can declare to you with full confidence that Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures, and he was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that the work that Jesus did to accomplish our salvation. Jesus said when he was on the cross, he says, it is accomplished. It is finished. He did it. And do you know how we know? Do we know how we know that the Lord accepted it and the God, the Father, agrees with Jesus that, yeah, you did it. You finished it. You did it. You accomplished it. It is done and it's perfect. Do you know how we know that that's the case? Because Christ rose from the grave. And our Lord is living alive and well, sitting at the right hand of the Father, interceding for his people today. Family, today we've got hope because of this wonderful gospel that we have, that Jesus died for our sins. According to the scriptures, he was buried, he was raised on the third day. According to the scriptures, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance That Christ. Jesus came into this world to save sinners, came into this world to seek and save that which was lost, and he won. He did it. He accomplished it. It is true. And I know it's true because my God is alive. And the promises continue today, family, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. All who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And a redemption and a life and a life more abundant is right there in our future. This is the reality of faith, hope, and love, the gifts that God has given because of the gift that he gave. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much. Thank you for listening, and may the Lord bless you and keep you. For more information about Central Baptist Church, go to www.cbcaurora.com.